or your church or whatever is really stubborn about, they're going to do it, it's super important to them, and no matter what, that's what they're going to do. And, and let me expand it a little bit to say it's so important to them that, it, that it's followed that they might even have rules around the rule so that they don't break the thing that they really want to follow. Does that make sense? So this, and it's, it can be yourself, it can be others, it can be groups, uh, just any, anything that you've seen currently or in your past where, where that happens. You can just shout it out. You don't have to raise your hand. I'll give a for instance from my church growing up. Um, like, we, I grew up Church of Christ. As you could guess, we probably didn't have instruments. And that came from that verse in somewhere in Paul's writings where it talks about sing and make melody in your heart. And that, and that was like some of the basis or the core basis for like don't have instruments because you're supposed to sing from your heart. Because we don't want to do that wrong. So no instruments, right? Yeah. So people are like very protect. It's almost like a rule around the rule. Mm -hmm. You know what I'm saying? It's like a fence around the... The, the thing. And then, and then there's the, and then there's like a song that says, play the wire, play the, right. play all yeah. these other, uh -huh. what you're telling them, yep. voice and stuff, my voice, and then it's like, I don't need something I'll pick it Oh no, have y'all seen that anywhere else? An another, this is a, just a not church thing, for instance, is like, I don't know if for those of you who like college basketball, but like Louisville, Rick Pitino's the coach. He's going to full court press no matter what. Like that's his thing. That's their strategy. He's going to press, and other teams are going to have to adapt to that. Um, another one would I, another one I think of is like um, kosher foods. Very a very tiny percentage of the human population is kosher. But because a tiny amount of them won't touch the food unless it's kosher, almost all food labels label if it's kosher or not, and a lot of foods are kosher because of the tiny group that so stubbornly sticks to that principle. It's a, I mean, it's a, yes? To help you out here, uh, <laughs> I will not go through a drive-in uh, order food at a food driving stop. I will not. That's my basic rule and I have passed that on to my grandchildren and they do not understand it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that helps with your Yeah, is there question. a, do you have, do you have a lot, what's your logic for that? I'm fascinated, um, yeah. Uh, one is the pollution mm -hmm. and I'm not an extreme environmentalist but I think it's an extreme waste of um, Yes, and uh, a waste of my money, which is the practical part of it. So you can wait in line running your automobile for 10 minutes easily at some of these places. Chick-fil-A here in, in Brentwood is 
You may have just converted room of people. Yeah, that's you may have converted room of people never to use the drive-through again. Yeah, I that's, think per- that's perfect. That's perfect. That's perfect. Or Chick Fil A. It's amazing. On Sunday, we're not open. Don't care how many yeah. people want it, and you know, lots of church people love Chick Fil A. We're not doing it. You know? So for me, it was. I don't know. If this is true, and that we have a predominantly white audience this morning, um, but in the black community especially. Oh, Kim back there. I'll let you. Uh, she can know, she'll know this. Like Some black homes have the double living rooms, and there's one living room that you don't sit in. But there's furniture in there, but you don't sit in it. And the way that they protect said furniture is they put the plastic on that furniture. And there's like plastic covering on that furniture. And so if you do sit on it, you're going to get real uncomfortable because you're sitting on plastic. And the reason... Who knows? I don't know. Okay. I've never been given a reason. I say you just you yeah. just don't you don't. That's just something that you look at. Yeah. Well, we don't all need reasons for everything. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know if that's true. Okay. Good. I think it may be. It may be a southern thing. It may be maybe a southern thing. Yeah. So okay. The reason the reason I ask the reason I ask that question is. Um, I want we're going to be we're going to do the good samaritan today which is obviously a parable that even a third grader can understand and get great faith lessons from great direction in their life from that parable without knowing uh, a lot of the theology and context of it but when you know the context of the parable it actually changes a lot of what it means. And a lot of um, what, at least when I've taught, has been looking at the context of the, of the parable, of the teaching, and of Jesus in that time frame. What are people thinking? What are, what are people hearing? What are they seeing? Um, again, the Jewish way is not definitions. It's not logic. If you've got A, then B, then C. It's not that. A lot of the Jewish way is pictures and stories. The Bible is mostly, well, almost all of it, I would say, has a Jewish foundation to it. Even Paul uh, grew up a Jew and was, uh, was pretty devout about it, clearly. Um, context is extremely important, and stories are extremely important. Eighty percent of the Bible is a story, and 20%, the other twenty percent is God's message to people in the story. And parables fit that uh, pattern, that theme. Um, for, for instance, let me give an example. Like, so in, in John, early on in the book of John, Jesus goes to a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Remember, they, of course, they run out of <coughs> wine, so Jesus converts the water to wine. Now, there's a lot of great lessons we get from that today without knowing the context. But the context is pretty, pretty cool. In Cana of Galilee, it was believed that the prophet Joel was buried there. And at the end of Joel, talking about the day of the Lord, it says that the mountains will drip with new wine. And Cana of Galilee has beautiful vineyards there at the base of this mountain. 
So the prophet Joel is talking about the day of the Lord, and in this day there will be new wine. So when Jesus converts water to wine at this wedding, these people know the Bible, and when they see this happen, they go, oh, this is, not only is this amazing, but who is this? Or another, or another snapshot. Um, we know the story of, if, of Samson and Delilah. Samson was the judge who, you know, God said, you know, don't cut his hair. As long as his hair grows, he'll get stronger and stronger. Um, Samson, does anybody know what Samson's name means? It means sunlight or sunshine. Samson married a Philistine woman, which was against God's commands. And the Philistine's woman was named, anybody know? Delilah. Delilah. Does anybody know what Delilah's name means? Darkness. So this collision point of light and darkness right here, the names mean something. Now, Samson basically was told to take the Nazarite vow, which is uh, discussed in the Torah, the first five books. And among many things of extreme devotion to God's laws, two of them were, don't cut your hair. The other one was, don't drink wine. Delilah was from the Valley of Sorek, which is, or which means wine valley. So immediately, the story is being told through the names and the places. So, all that to say, context is extremely important. And when you know the context of the Good Samaritan, you act, it actually pushes you even further to what it, what it means to love your neighbor as yourself. So, getting to the Good Samaritan, Luke chapter 10. Uh, Jesus is approached by uh, what's it says, a lot of your Bibles may say a lawyer. It really means theologian or teacher of the law. And this theologian says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, the lingo there in that day is, he's not asking about the afterlife. What does it mean to go to heaven when I die? He's asking, what do I need to do to be a part of what God is doing right here, right now, today? And Jesus says, what do you think of this? And the man says, what we quoted earlier, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, good answer, do this and you will live. Then the man asks, who is my neighbor? Now, this is a great question, and if he hadn't asked it, we may not have this story. There was a raging debate going on at that time. Who is our neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Um, does anybody know where that, um, that command actually comes from in the Bible? What book and chapter? It's obscure. It's actually in Leviticus 19. Leviticus 19, verse 18, about loving your neighbor as yourself. So Jesus answers this question with a story. Um, and he says this man 
is walking from uh, he's walking on the Jericho road basically from Jericho to Jerusalem and he gets attacked along the way now we should be asking ourselves as we're reading this why does he point out a specific road because he's not giving specific names to these people he says a man vaguely walks this specific road why did he say that road why did he say the Jericho road now, the Jericho Road, there, there are two key reasons for pointing this out. The Jericho Road, um, it's a dangerous road, and it's a long one, and it's about, a, it's about 18 inches wide, and it's on the edge of a cliff, sometimes at parts of it 200, 300 feet high off the ground on, along this cliff. 18 inches wide. So then you start thinking about, okay, so Jesus talks about two characters who pass by on the other side. There's no other side. It's 18 inches wide. You would have to step over a body in the road. You can't just, I'm going to walk over there, play it safe, don't want to touch him. Like You would have to step over them. You'd have to deal with it. So, obviously, you all know the story. At first, a priest walks by. Then a Levite walks by. Uh, the priests and Levites were Sadducees, basically. And the Sadducees took the Torah, the first five books, literally. And they wanted to stay, they wanted to remain holy by obeying the commands of God in the first five books. And the priests were commanded in the first five books, you shall not touch or even come near a dead body. If you want to remain holy, if you want to remain clean, don't come near a dead body. Now, that leads to the issue of the man who got robbed and beat up and left for dead in the road. It's... It, your Bibles may say he was half dead. Uh, the wording there really means that he was on the verge of death. So these robbers left him thinking he is all, he's about to die. And these priests and Levites were so devoted to God's word, they so passionately wanted to stay holy, their interpretation of it from God's command was don't touch a dead body don't, don't even come close to touching someone that is almost dead so the priest and the Levite pass by on the other side step over this nearly dead person in order to remain holy in order to obey God now it was common practice in uh, parables from Jewish rabbis to, to have like three key characters or four key characters. Now, we've already gone through three of them. One man is on the road, half dead or nearly dead. The priest and the Levite uh, pass, step over the dead man on the road. So all the audience knows that the, this next person that's going to be introduced is going to do something different. 
the lesson is going to come from this person, and the, this person they're expecting, they're expecting it to be a Pharisee. Why a Pharisee? Well, the Pharisees and the majority of the population at the time uh, believed in oral law or oral Torah, which was a number of interpretations and commentary about the first five books of the Bible. How do we live this out? How do we obey these commands in these different situations in life? Again, the priests and Levites did not accept uh, oral Torah. They only took it literally, the first five books. But the Pharisees, the majority of the people at the time, looked at the oral law and said, how do we apply it? And the oral law said this, obviously you want to obey all the commands, but preservation of human life trumps all of them. So a Pharisee would be expected to stop and show mercy to the one who is half dead. Remember the question, again, that this man asked, who is my neighbor? That's the story. The story is answering this. Who is my neighbor? Jesus obviously throws a twist in the whole thing by saying a Samaritan comes along and the Samaritan stops to help the person who's half dead. Now, the context, we all know that the Jews didn't like the Samaritans. Jews um, thought the Samaritans were even worse than pagans. Jews also didn't think at the time that Samaritans were even made in the image of God. This per the Samaritans are not our neighbor. They're not our neighbor because they're not made in the image of God. They've done so many horrible things to us as Jews that they're not our neighbor. The other interesting twist here is Samaritans also were like priests and Levites in that they took the Torah literally. So the Samaritans uh, would not be expected to stop and touch someone who is unclean, a.k.a. in this situation, nearly dead. And Jesus says, a Samaritan comes along the road and stops to help this person. Now, if, if you uh, take the time later today or this week to read the story, the Samaritan actually, uh, almost step by step, undoes what the thieves had done to the man. So Jesus throws a twist in the whole thing by saying the Samaritan comes to help the man and carry him to the inn to the hotel down the road. The Samaritan is endangering his own life in this story because it would have been a long journey, about a day and a half, to uh, an inn, and the Samaritan definitely could have gotten attacked and killed along the way. Um, so at the end of the story, Jesus says, Who, who is the neighbor? And the teacher answers. Anybody remember what this theologian answers at the end of the story? He says, 
the one who showed mercy. Now, I've heard there are two different ways, there are at least two different ways to read that answer. The theologian, you know, we're back to real life here, the theologian couldn't even bring himself to say the Samaritan is the, is the good, the Samaritan is my neighbor. I think that's a glass half empty reading of it. Because he answers the one who showed mercy. What I read it as is this theologian is now not defining the person by his race or where he's from. He's defining him by his obedience to God and he's defining him by his action. The one who is my neighbor is the one who showed mercy. And the one who showed mercy is the Samaritan and therefore the Samaritan is my neighbor. You remember in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, your righteousness should surpass the, that of the Pharisees. You should be more holy, you should be more devoted to the word of God than even the Pharisees are. So he's expanding the definition of love here for his audience. Your neighbor is your enemy. And your enemy is your neighbor and you should love them. A P.S. here, and then, um, and then my prepared remarks are done. But in Leviticus 19, this is where we get the command, the second greatest command, to love your neighbor as yourself. But at the end of the chapter, which I didn't even read this, or it didn't like hit me until recently, um, but we all, we all have heard from a very young age, if you grew up in church, love your neighbor as yourself. But towards the end of uh, the chapter, it says this. Uh, verse 33 and verse 34. If a stranger dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. <laughs> the stranger who dwells among you shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself. For you are strangers in the land of Egypt. I am the Lord your God. Tell, tell us where that passage is again. That's in Leviticus 19. Same chapter that we get, love your neighbors yourself. So we've, we've always heard love your neighbors, neighbor as yourself, but God also commands a few verses down, love the stranger as yourself. And Jesus draws us back by, by this parable saying, The Samaritan, your enemy, is your neighbor. You shall love your enemy. You shall love your neighbor. And you here shall love the Samaritan. Because the Samaritan is your neighbor. Um, that's pretty amazing. Because I, I love the strangers yourself. How many of us have heard that a lot? growing up. I didn't. Um, Stranger danger. Yeah. <laughs> Stranger things. Stranger things. It's right. good. Um, Jesus, uh, it's an it's amazing parable. Obviously, people, again, again, to expand our mercy towards people, even that we don't know or that we'll never meet, we would think the Pharisees are the arrogant religious people who are going to pass by on the other side. First off, 
the priest and the Levite were not just arrogant religious people who weren't going to help a person. That wasn't it. They were devoted to God's word. And they were trying to obey him. But also the Pharisees were the ones expected to show mercy. So we're ex <laughs> it's ironic that we're pretty judgmental of Pharisees without knowing the context. But the Pharisees were really devoted to obeying God. And the Pharisees really wanted the people of the time to turn back to God. Clearly there were some who were hypocrites and judgmental and got it wrong. But, the, but for the most part, the Pharisees were trying to obey God's will. Um, and I'll leave it at yeah. that right there. So let's do this. Let's take your comment and then I have an idea. Go ahead. So it's obvious that Jesus chose the Samaritan because he was he, he was a picture of who's different. And the Samaritans were ostracized um, because they were a different race, because, but particularly because they worshiped God in a way that the Jews thought was just horrible. And, you know, because they're, they're half pagan, half uh, God worshipers, but not really God worshipers. And so they're really, really looked down upon. So if Jesus were given this parable today in America, how would he have told this story? Who would he have picked instead of, because Samaritans don't, doesn't mean anything to us Americans much. Uh, what, who do you think he would have picked? So you think it might be Muslims? Because they, they worship God in a way that's different from mainstream America uh, because they're usually a different race and um, and so they're just different from us and they're demonized because uh, um, because some of some Muslims have, have done some evil things. That's a kind of counteract that I could see it also being like putting the president himself in that place. I think for a lot of us you know, we think we need to love the Muslim because they're getting the kind of hate from so many people in our country. But also, I think it's important that, you know, we kind of start to hate the people who hate. And I think we might need to consider kind of putting someone like Donald Trump in that place. So you can, you can picture you can picture them showing mercy. Yeah, as hard as as hard as it is to to think like I need to, as hard as it as it is to love that person and kind of see good in them. I think it's important to try kind of put that kind of person in that place too. That's good. Okay, let's do this. Talk about your tables. We have lots of things to talk about. So Stephen has said some things. He's got some comments. You probably have your own thoughts uh, after hearing everything that's been presented so far. So talk at your table for a few minutes, and then we're going to come around and hear from each table. So pick someone or someones to be willing to share what you're table talked about and then we'll see where the conversation leads us from there. Ready break. Yeah, look, Kim, if you go in that closet, there's another that one there's a chair right in there. Yeah, the bench the bench is a little shaky. No, not yet. Yeah, actually I just
So, so, so we're all it's more aesthetic yeah. for now. Yeah, it's good. That's, that's great. Um, yeah, what did you think? Heard you heard a lot of that before? Yeah, I, yeah, I heard that before. I what what I, um, I hadn't uh, thought about that uh, how that Leviticus 19. It's one of those fun things where it's like. Man, now I want a series on Leviticus. Now I want to do, now I want to like go even deeper into Leviticus and just start. Um, because I mean, like, that's the thing. Constantly, what we see in the New Testament is always a throwback to what's happening in the Torah, always throwback to what's happening in the, uh, in the Old Testament. And it's like, there are some good bits, but we often hear Leviticus and like the antennas are up and it's like the, the two or three parts where it's like, that's not helpful, that, that's so archaic or that's so barbaric. Yeah, so specific. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Well, it, 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 Oh yeah. Tassels that's yes. Obey all the commands. Six hundred thirteen of them. So you gotta know them to obey them. Well, it's well, and, and, and I think and that's what you're yeah. Like, yeah. These, for these guys, their interpretations of the Bible matter. Oh yeah. Well, and that's and that's the one thing that we often forget is that people often speak of even the twelve as like these fishermen and like not really you know literate when it comes to the teachings. But what we know is that every male went through the same teaching of learning Torah. It's just these twelve weren't good enough to go on to be a rabbi. But they know it. They all know it. As true, they grew up knowing it. And it's like, we, and then you think about us, it's like, we don't even come close to having that baseline. The only group of people that kept close to that baseline is the group of people that we all in this room make fun of to a degree, and that's the Mormons. They know their Bible. I've never had a conversation with Mormons like, you know your Bible. More than people that I know that say they love the Bible. You can quote it. You can quote it up and that. And you also quote it. this other this other thing. But what just shows devotion? Right, it shows a devotion. It's like can't we? We've already seen it within our own text that we claim as one of the major things that are informing our lives. What what more do we need as for reason to? So, but no, and I think what's helpful too is thinking is I think as we all think about the Samaritan story as like this as like Franklin Road and like he's on this side of the road I'm way over here and I, yeah but it's like to literally walking over over the you know that's I think that's really good just from the wedding, that's what specifically
anymore. So what's funny is uh, I was at another wedding this past Friday. No. What was that? No. The Mitt's dinner on Thursday. Same caterer at Katie's in Tyler's. Oh, yeah. The same staff people. And I was like, hey, they like tossing with some of the staff people. So funny. So, you're going to think this is going to update. Ricky lives in Florida now. Yeah, so he, he is, so I got to update. Yeah, he did. Did you see one? Not someone in the room? Did you see the Oh, yeah, she sent it. She sent it to me. Which is good. Yes. Yeah. I, well, yes, but the. the yeah. A step, yeah. So he lives down in Florida now. So he bought a bus ticket, got to Florida, and he works in a restaurant. And that's where he's going to be for the foreseeable future. Because he doesn't have a car, he doesn't have a place to live in Nashville, so he's just there now. So, until he. And if, if, who knows if he will come back to Nashville, or he may end up going back to Ohio or anything else. So, so the, the, the feel of in person confrontation is now, and it seems, for lack of better, for better or worse, he doesn't seem to be in really reaching out in, in contact with anybody else from from our community. So. Who's gonna, what you got here? Give us your thoughts. Table one. We talked a little bit about like, what I kind of said uh, to everyone just a second ago. And kind of how like the person in that story is different for different kinds of people. Yeah. So like, what yeah. did y'all, so, so yeah, go deeper in that. <laughs> so, I mean, so like, for, I guess for me, and I think probably a lot of people in this room, it might be somebody like Donald Trump. Where it's like somebody you can hardly picture doing the act of mercy, um, yeah. but imagining them doing that and seeing them as, you know, a child of God. Yeah. Um, and for different people, that's a, 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 a that can be a completely different person. Yeah. That's good. Thank you. Any other thoughts, ladies? Okay. Yeah, like I said, it would be really hard if I saw Kevin Durant in the road to like pick him up. <laughs> Because of all he did, he's a horrible person. But, um, you know, I was in city, I was also 16. Probably when it got beat up, though, he's very large. Um, but we said, like, a lot of times, I don't know what position we normally put ourselves in when we read this story, but I was thinking today especially, what if we, like, were the one laying there who got beat up, and it's like, I don't care who you are, or where you came from, like, if you don't pick me up, I'm going to die. So, like, I don't care what beef we've had in the past, like, if you see a need, you should obviously try to try to fit that need. Um, anything else? Yeah, that's it. 
justify it with scripture saying like I need to know this verse and this verse says not to do this and in reality like Jesus says the most important thing is to love people if that means picking them up off the side of the road and breaking a small commandment about cleanliness and uncleanliness like you're saving his life <laughs> okay very good thank you next table um, so we talked a lot um, about how it's kind of easier for us to look at like marginalized groups or just different like, races or whatnot that uh, like as Christians we're like, oh we can love them, like we can do that. But like when it gets to a more like personal level when there's someone um, specifically who has like wronged you, how it's really hard um, to kind of reach that forgiveness and that love. Um, and yeah, just putting on a personal level. Right. That's kind of what we talked about. That's good. Cool. Any other? Yeah. As we all, it's like you're holding your holding your tongue. Last table. Let's hear some final thoughts before we leave. So we took a, another look at the uh, priest and Levites mm -hmm. and tried to compare. Well, who's you know who in America fits that mold? And you know the extreme case that you brought up was uh, what was was more Baptist, right? Except that so so that that is extreme. Sure. But, but if we look a little closer, it's, it's really common, it's human nature, that we love our own little group. And, uh, and, and it's really common that we, people who aren't quite, who aren't in that little group, can pretty much go to hell. Uh, literally, sometimes. Um, and... Um, and that's acting just like the priest and the Levite. We're, we're, and, and we justify it with self-righteousness and, and scripture very often. So growing up, that's what it felt like many times. Thank you. All right, Stephen, last word. You get the last word before we get out of here. You've well, at least one, at le and another side lesson here, too. The Samaritan, remember, was like the priest and the Levite, but his love 
and compassion. His mercy trumped his his um, literal take of the Bible. And that Jesus, in a big way, is saying how you interpret Scripture a lot of times will determine how you act. And knowing the Bible and knowing more of the Bible matters. The more plugged in you, you are to Scripture, the more rooted in it you are, uh, the more, it, it will determine how you act. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Go show mercy, you know. Peace. Feel free to Instagram it. We love, we love Instagram. Probably.